Hi there, this is Jörg Thomeyer. I'm the head of IP of the Bayer Group and you are listening to IP Fridays. Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 43 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is again Jörg Thomeyer, head of IP of the Bayer Group. We talk about how Bayer is managing their intellectual property and their filing strategies. Then we also have a story about the famous Christmas song Santa Claus is Coming to Town and a recent ruling that the copyright for this song is expiring by the end of next year. And finally, we also talk about a new way to search for trademarks by entering not text, but a picture. But before all that, we want to remind you that we are giving away three Christmas mugs from a German Christmas market to all our listeners who leave us comments via email or voicemail or comments on the website regarding our podcast IP Fridays. So go ahead, leave us a comment and you will be in the race for one of the three Christmas mugs. Christmas is less than two weeks away and we have a story about what happens when a Christmas classic and a copyright dispute meet. Trisha Volpe with Barnes and Thornburg has more. You better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. It's a holiday classic. This rendition is by Frank Sinatra. Many artists have put their stamp on this famous song over the decades, and soon the rights to Santa Claus is coming to town will be coming right back to the heirs of the songwriter who composed it. EMI Feist Catalog has owned the rights to this song penned by John Frederick Coots in the 1930s. But in October of this year, the Second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Manhattan ruled that EMI's rights to Santa Santa Claus is Coming to Town will terminate by the end of next year. Coots, who wrote music for hundreds of songs before his death in 1985, co-wrote the song with James Lamont Haven Gillespie. Rejecting a lower court ruling, the Second Circuit ruled for Coots's daughter and grandchildren, going to great lengths in the opinion to analyze the termination rights of artists under U.S. copyright law. EMI said it owned the rights to the song until 2029, arguing Coots's heirs could not use the termination provisions in the Copyright Act of 1976 to claw back control of the song. The court did not agree and sided with the heirs, holding that the rights stem from a 1981 grant terminated by a 2007 termination notice. Under the 1976 Copyright Act, songwriters have 
a right to terminate their publishing contracts after 35 years. That means in December 2016, Santa Claus will indeed be coming to town and Coots' heirs can terminate the publishing contract with EMI. Reporting for IP Fridays, I'm Trisha Volpe. Thank you, Trisha, for this great story on Santa Claus's coming to town. The Office for Harmonization of the Internal Market, OHIM, and sometimes called the European Trademark Office, has introduced a new way to search for CTMs in their database. You can now drag any image file into the search box of the eSearch search form on their website and it will return all trademarks that have a similar image. Let's say you wanted to search for similar trademarks compared to the Nike swoosh or the Mercedes star. You can just drag a Mercedes star image file onto the search box and any similar trademarks will be returned. If you want to try this out, you can go to www.ipfridays.com esearch that is ipfridays.com slash e and then search one word. Finally, I had the opportunity to chat with Jörg Thomeyer, head of IP of the Bayer Group, about their way to manage IP and their filing strategies. I'm very excited to be joined by Jörg Thomeyer today. If you don't know who Jörg Thomeyer is, he is currently serving as head of IP of Bayer Group. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to explain maybe a couple of things out of the IP world and specifically of Bayer in this interview. So many thanks for the opportunity. Uh, how do you manage your IP and what are your general filing strategies? Can you give us a brief overview? Yes, certainly. Um, the main principle at Bayer is that we manage the IP rather centrally in a central function. Yeah? In Germany it's even focused in an own entity. So in Germany we do have the Bayer Intellectual Property GmbH which is 100% affiliate of the Bayer AG. Um, and that's beside being the head of IP, as you mentioned, my second responsibility being the managing director of that entity. Globally, um, in our IP function, we have also positions um, in different other countries. So the function itself, IP, is also present in the US, in China, Brazil, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Japan. and But that's more kind of a part-time job because the person does also something else um, in India. Um, we are organized in this whole function, meaning as well in the focused German entity, as well as on the global level, as the buyer group is. That means we have groups responsible for the single businesses. So some taking care of pharma, taking care of consumer health, animal health and crop science. And until we split off our material science business, of course, we also had a polymers group, which is now Covestro. In smaller countries where we do not have such large amount of IP work, um, we do not have separate groups, so to speak, responsible for the businesses, but kind of crossover functions. We usually call it finally zebra because they are in split colors, so to speak. Um, so, for example, smaller in that sense means, for example, China. There is a group of four attorneys doing for all the businesses. 
I think the only one outside of Germany which has really split groups is the US because there we have enough people. And in France, Belgium and the Netherlands we have only crop science related work in IP. So these are pure crop science groups. So that's about how we are, how we are, are organized. Um, how do we manage it? Within these functions, we do have together with our R&D and marketing functions regular meetings where we decide about the portfolio. So where to file patents, um, do we file a patent, keep it with secret, what we rather rarely do, but uh, where do we file the patents, what's the process for it. That's about how to managing it. Um, and um, with regard to the filing strategy, I would be rather general because this is of course really part of the business strategy. So the general principle is we try to cover markets as well as competitor places in to, to a certain extent. Yeah. Depends from the area, depends from the indication, but the general uh, things we look at is where are the markets for the potential product because when we file it's very early, you don't know either is it really becoming a product and for what precisely will it be. But we usually have a general idea about the indications where it goes to, be it in pharma, be it in, in, in crop. And that drives which countries should be covered. In addition then, where are our competitors who could produce it? And competitors here could also mean generic companies who could copy to try to cover these places by filing. Um, I wouldn't go in more detail on, on the filing strategy. Maybe um, one more time to mention the very general strategy we will enforce our valid rights vigorously against infringers. That's the general strategy of us. So where we do have IP, where it is infringed, we're going to enforce it. That may end up, of course, also in some license deals, in some kind of negotiations, of course, but we would not just ignore if someone would infringe our rights. Right. And um, as for your patent application, um, who is drafting your patent applications and where do you first file and where do you go from there? Okay, very good question. So as a matter of policy, we um, prepare, so draft and file almost 100% of our applications in-house. So it's only that we really go to outside council support, so to speak, in drafting and prosecution if we have kind of peak time. So if for certain reasons there is a, a peak number and a very high number of files which you cannot cope with our internal resources, then we sometimes give a few cases um, to outside counsel. If it's a sustainable growth in work, we um, enhance our internal resources because that's a matter of policy because we believe and I believe strongly that being part of the company and therefore very closely involved into the R&D team, so our in-house patent councils are closely part of the project teams, um, leads to a better quality of the patents and the protections we can achieve for our products. Maybe more consistency also. That's true, yeah. exactly, because you have the overview of the whole bunch, of the whole strategy ar around a product. And where do we go from there? So almost also 100% goes via the PCT, Patent Cooperation Treaty route, into foreign countries. And then in, on that level, we go then into these committees, as I said, to decide which countries now finally. Where do we file first? Most of the time in Germany, but sometimes also in, in, on, on an EP level. And why Germany? First filing in Germany is just cheaper than filing at, at the EP. Um, we still do when we file first filings in English in, in, uh, through the European Patent Office because that's one of the official languages. Even if meanwhile you could do that also at the German Patent Office. So some are going through the European Patent Office as a first filing, but most going through the German Patent Office. And then we go PCT and then we go into the countries we select. 
you mentioned that um, you also uh, that you file in Germany first and uh, that English is possible in Germany. Do you use that? So do you first file in Germany in English and then file the translation? No. If you file in English, then we go straight to the European Patent Office because there we can file in English and stay in English. So right. we don't take the effort then to retranslate, so to speak, in German. Mm. That happens mainly if we have um, cross-border inventions so that we have to have a common language for the inventors. Because generally we prefer that the patent council is in the position to draft in his mother tongue because that's usually more precise. But if you have inventors, let's say, from France, um, the US, and or China and Germany and have a common invention to draft application on. English is the common language and then you have to do it in English. But then we first file in, in Europe, except, as I just said, in the, the picture I just drawn may become difficult because you have this obligation to do first filing on the national level in France, in the US and in China. And then you have to find a solution how to cope with this. But that's a different question. <laughs> right. I will leave that for a later interview. <laughs> So now let's talk about trademarks. Do you use the Madrid system and international registrations or do you prefer to have national trademarks? And if you use Madrid, what do you typically use as a basis? Do you use German trademarks or community trademarks or even a completely different type of trademark? And why do you do that? So, um, first of all, to be quite honest, um, I discussed these issues just recently with my head of trademarks because trademark is a separate department. It's not part of these business or so division-driven departments. These are patent departments. Trademark is a cross-division department, but within my organization. So what do we do? We preferably use the Madrid system wherever we can. Um, we typically use a national German trademark as a basis. And um, the, the reason is that the German patent trademark office is highly reliable and we get the registration pretty quick. Yeah? So, which is important because we want to have priority of the, of the thing. Um, the community trademark covers the 28 member states and can be attacked on prior national marks in any of these countries, which makes it difficult. Um, and therefore, the risk of lo losing this community trademark within the five-year period is much higher than losing the national German trademark, where we are in the Madrid system in these five years. So, therefore, we use the German as a basis. And yes, we use Madrid as our main way, so to speak. Just to explain to our listeners who are not familiar with the Madrid system, if you file um, an international registration with the basis of a certain national or regional trademark, like a CTM, then the international registration will, be, will depend on the basic uh, registration, the basic trademark. So if you lose the German trademark or the CTM, then you also lose this, the international registration. And that and uh, we just heard that you can uh, limit the risk of losing your international registration by, for example, relying on a national trademark rather than a CTM right. That's what I also typically uh, prefer. So um, what is the structure of the IP department within the Bayer Group and is it centralized or does each business unit have their own department? Basically, I may have also already addressed that in one of the yes, questions before, but I'm happy, but happy to, to summarize it. We have a centralized system, mm -hmm. so we have uh, one function for the, for the group, um, which is in an entity in Germany and which is in super central support functions in other countries where we have it, um, as said before. We do have patent departments, 
which are responsible and directed to the business unit, not part of the business units, but responsible to support, let's say, the pharma business, and another one to support the crop science business. And we have one trademark department, but that's what I just mentioned a little bit earlier, a zebra, so it's cross-divisional. It's responsible for all trademarks. Within that department, of course, there are trademark council and paralegal supporting them, responsible for pharma, responsible for crop. But more, usually they are responsible for two divisions to enable them to represent them um, in absence um, on a vice versa level. So that's one of the reasons how they are um, organized. That's basically how we are um, organized and, and, and structured. Honestly, it was decentralized um, until three years ago. There, every business unit had their own, which were bound together through kind of a functional central position. So there was a position in Bayer AG where they were connected to on a functional level, but they were localized, so to speak, in the businesses. We changed that a couple of years ago and brought it back to a real centralized system. Mm -hmm. So I have a completely different question now. Um, what kind of software do you use? I assume you use a case management system and maybe you also use other types of software. And are there, uh, one thing that is really interesting to me, uh, are there any special solutions, for example, to track counterfeit goods? Okay, let's get started. Um, kind of software do we use? We have a self-developed IP management system. It's called Ephelia. It's just a truncation of certain things. It's an electronic file and as well as a workflow-based working tool. So a lot of things can be done there. So for example, if we um, get the memorandum of invention from the inventors and according to German law, we have to do the, the so-called Inanspruchnahme, not anymore, but at least some kind of information. This is generated automatically through the system and just sent out by us. So things like this could be generated automatically. We also can generate after being filled in the data, certain formula we use for certain countries and so on. So, but that's self-developed. Um, otherwise, we use, of course, the usual office softwares. Um, you know, no, we have not a special solution to track counterfeit goods. Yeah. Um, and counter, the, the, honestly, to, to, to speak that the track of really counterfeit goods, yeah, so piracy products, is only partially based in our IP department. It's, on the other hand, what we call Produktschutz, so um, securing our products or protecting product departments which do this, this kind of job because it's not always necessarily a trademark or patent infringement thing. Relatively frequently trademarks are involved, but rather rarely patents. It's interesting. Um, so, for example, we had a, a period of time where we had a lot of counterfeits on Levitra, which is Bias Viagra, and interestingly, the active ingredient was indeed sildenafil, so the Viagra ingredient, so our patents didn't work there. Yeah? So um, that's basically where, where, what the counterfeit um, is, is working on. And our internal system, maybe it's a, that to be mentioned because it's self-developed, does cover patents, trademarks, inventor remunerations so or inventors, um, yeah, employees invention law, things we have, we have to cope with and we are actually working on extending it also to um, design uh, models because that's something we use only rarely so therefore it was not the first thing but now we realize that let's say doing kind of a strange workaround use of the patent or trademark workflows to do the utility uh, not the utility the design model work doesn't help so we are not just working on adding also a design model um, module so to speak to the system 
Do you also use uh, software or online solutions to search for patents like prior art searches or FTO searches or something like this? We, we do only very early on and very hands-on rough searches ourselves. We do have a search department or basically actually these days it's it's a bit spread over it's it's three in the company very experienced um searchers who do nothing else they also do the literature search for our research and so on so if we do fto research or prior art searches we let this be done by our experts and they are not part of the ip organization that's for example different i think with basf they are for example part but i'm not 100 percent sure um at bayer they aren't it's a separate information department which belongs usually to the research part but they work with us on these kind of of researchers the real online tools we use sometimes for a rough overview if it's more kind of a very general statement request where we, where we do not a deep dive search but if it should be a deep dive to prepare opposition to um, do an FTO, freedom to operate analysis and an opinion that we are free of um, valid third-party rights, then we use our professionals. Right. So, well, thank you very much for being on the interview. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where could they reach you? I think there are basically two options which I would offer. One is just Google me and find me on LinkedIn, and then you can get in touch via LinkedIn. Or if you want to go directly, I would offer my email address, which is Jörg dot tomeyer at bayer.com i think i'm i phrase it more precisely it's jörg it's j-o-e-r-g dot and then my surname t-h-o-m-a-i-e-r and then at bayer.com that's basically the email address so if you want to get in touch drop me a mail i will try to get back to you as soon as possible thank you very much for the interview You're welcome, my pleasure. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.